Our text this morning is 1 Kings chapter 10, but we're going to be focusing on the first 13 verses. Hear now the very word of God that is authoritative, sufficient, and inerrant. 1 Kings chapter 10. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I had heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these, that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almug wood and precious stones. And the king made of the almug wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. No such almug wood has come or been seen to this day. And Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired. Whatever she asked, besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land and servants. Let us seek the Lord's blessing upon his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our God. And we pray, O Lord, that you would use even this story of the queen of Sheba to point us to yourself, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and to his work. For it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Have you noticed that even of people that we are very familiar with, there often seems to be a single or perhaps two incidents that stick in our minds with that person? They tell us about the person and about their circumstances and perhaps even we might say about their character. 
we might think of George Washington. For many of you, as soon as I say that name, you can almost picture Washington with the hat and the scarf looking into the wind as the boats skim across the Delaware, can't you? Maybe for others of you, it's Babe Ruth. And as soon as I say that, you're thinking of Wrigley Field and the famous called shot. Washington surely fought many battles. Babe Ruth hit many home runs. But those incidents stick in our mind because they tell us a bit about the person. We might also think of Thomas Edison, who we all know was the inventor of the light bulb. But he was also the inventor of a great many other things. But we focus upon that one thing because it gives us a bit of information about Edison and his perseverance in the face of difficulties. Well, our text is like that this morning because I need to remind you that even though it seems like we've been talking for Solomon for some time, we're now in our 10th chapter, that Solomon ruled Israel for 40 years. That is five times as long as a two-term president. That would be the same as if someone who came into the presidency in the late 70s was still reigning. And we have but a few stories from Solomon. We saw the story of the baby about to be divided in half. We saw his great prayer in the temple. And the other main story that we get here is the Queen of Sheba coming and visiting Solomon. And perhaps you might wonder why our historian here has included this story. And I think it's because it tells us a bit about Solomon and his reign, but it tells us more about the Lord God and his reign. And so what we're going to look at this morning are two things. The first is the greatness of Solomon, for he is indeed great. But secondly, and yes, more importantly, we're going to look at the one who is greater than Solomon, the Lord God. Well, let's look first then at the greatness of Solomon. We have this text here in chapter 10, and I need to remind you that this doesn't come out in a vacuum. There's context to this story. Solomon is reigning on the throne, and this is the fulfillment of the promise of God. If you turn back in 1 Kings a few pages to chapter 3, you'll remember that in verse 11, the Lord God said to Solomon, Because you have asked for this, namely wisdom, and have not asked for long life or riches, or the the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind. And then in verse 13, I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare to you all your days. And we see here in chapter 10 a visible picture that the Lord God keeps his promises. We look around and we see that Solomon is indeed wealthy. We see that he is indeed wise. And we see indeed that none compares to him. We see that a part of that promise being kept is that Solomon's reputation has spread. Solomon is great And we can see his greatness 
in verse 24. The whole earth sought out the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom. Now, this isn't just a press release. Oh, the whole earth wants to see him. Because verse 2 gives us a living, breathing example, the Queen of Sheba. She comes to see what all of this is about, that she's heard. She's heard these reports. Now, you have to understand where the Queen of Sheba is from. She's from what is probably now modern Yemen, which is about 1,200 miles as the crow flies. I don't know how far it is as the camel walks. But let's just suffice it to say, it's a really long way. A thousand mile trip is brutal in a car. We've taken a few of them from Jackson, Mississippi up to Cleveland. It's 18 hours in the car. Are we there yet? I'm tired. I need a snack. I'm falling asleep. Traffic. Now imagine traveling by camel. The Queen of Sheba really wants to see what this is all about. That's how far Solomon's fame has spread. The final context of the story is not just that God keeps his promises, but that God answers prayer. Again, if you have your Bible with you, you can turn back a page or two to chapter 8 and look at verse 41 where Solomon prays to God. He says, Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country, kind of like Sheba, for your namesake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, here in heaven, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. The Lord God is answering Solomon's prayer. The only difference here is Solomon's praying generically with a he and a she shows up right now. God is answering the prayer of Solomon. And so the queen travels to see if what she's heard is true. She wants to see if the stories are true. And she is a skeptic. You see, we oftentimes think that skeptics are only those who are 21st century steeped in science and analytics. No. In those days, in the desert land of Sheba, the queen comes 1,500 miles and she comes ready. Her note cards are ready for Solomon. She comes not with softballs, but with hard questions. This word is actually the same word that's used in other parts of the Old Testament for riddles. Not riddles like knock-knock jokes. Riddles like things that are so difficult that they can't be answered. One of those got Samson in trouble. His famous riddle of the the sweet and the eater. So she comes with these hard questions and she comes with a healthy dose of skepticism. Look at verse 7. She says, Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I had heard. And that was a report that I did not believe. I came here because I didn't think this was true. But I had to see for myself. Now, I want you to imagine your own life. You don't have to have a queen of Sheba come 1,200 miles for you. You have skeptics that come into your life, don't you? You have those who come with hard questions that are sometimes hard to answer. 
This is something that the people of God face all the time. Or maybe the, the opposite is true. Maybe it's you that are skeptical. Maybe you look at the Word of God and you say, you look at a text like this and you say, 666 talents of gold a year? No way. Forget about it. The Lord God is here to answer those questions from His Word. To give you the wisdom you need. The wisdom that is actually greater than Solomon's. As the Holy Spirit brings to bear His Word in your life. And so the queen comes, she's got hard questions, she's loaded for bear, we might say. She thinks she's going to shoot Solomon down easy. And Solomon handles all of them very easily. And she comes and she looks around. And notice the text here is very interesting. Look at verse 5. She sees all of these things, I won't repeat each instance, and her response is, there is no more breath in her. She says, oh. y'all know ladies that have done that, right? Oh. That's so beautiful. Oh. That's so much. But there's something else more here. It's not just that the winds got knocked out of her. This, there's no breath in her, has the connotation of, I give up. I can't, I can't fight this. I can't come up with any harder questions. Everything is true. Look at what I see. She gives up. She sees the greatness of Solomon for herself. I mean, look at the wealth. From verse 14 and on, we haven't read it, but if you skim through it, you'll see that the word gold is mentioned ten times in those verses. Solomon gets 660 talents of gold a year. For those of you that don't have your conversion from talents, palm, pilots, That's 20 tons of gold a year. That is magnificent. Look at verse 21. Silver is junk. You can almost imagine the tour guide taking the queen's retinue through. Well, look, here's the gold shields. Each shield weighs about eight pounds. Here's the small gold shields. They're only four pounds of gold each. Well, we get, I don't know, 20 tons or so in a year. Oh, there's some silver. We had to get it out of here because, you know, it's not really worth anything. It's kind of like walking through and seeing the crown jewels. She sees this greatness. And I want to remind you that she doesn't impress easy. Look at verse 2. She comes with a very great retinue with spices, so many spices that this is the most spices that ever make their way into Israel. She has loads of gold. She gives Solomon 120 talents of gold right there. This is not a pauper coming in and seeing the palace. This is one of the richest queens in the world, and she sees the blessings of the Lord God, and she is blown away. That's what she sees. But she doesn't just see his greatness, she also hears his greatness. Because she's heard of his fame, she's heard the stories that Solomon's wise, maybe even the story where he gets at the truth of the two women and the child. Maybe that's gone out. 
Maybe somebody's put a spin on it. She's not sure if she believes it. And she comes and she asks Solomon every question. We might imagine a good, sharp attorney cross-examining someone. Or maybe a very wise and experienced professor firing all kinds of questions. And Solomon handles them all with ease. The way the text describes it, it makes it sound like child's play. Solomon answered all her questions. He didn't miss a one. And there was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And Solomon doesn't just have the right answers. Nothing is hidden from him. He's able to give her all the right answers. Do you ever feel like you need the right answers in life? The right answers for how to raise your children. The right answers for how to get out of a sticky situation at work. The right answers for how to deal with your neighbors. Where do these answers come from? We all can't have a meeting with the Lord and have him bless us with Solomon's wisdom. Where do these come from? Solomon tells us. In Proverbs 1, verse 6, Solomon says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Solomon says, you want wisdom like I have? You want all the answers? You want to be able to do these sorts of things? You must begin by fearing and worshiping the Lord. You cannot get answers outside of the one who is truth. You cannot get answers outside of the one who knows all. You must begin with the Lord God. This isn't surprising. We looked together at the book of Ecclesiastes a few months ago, didn't we? Do you remember Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14? God will bring every act into judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. God knows everything. And if you want answers, you must go to him. This isn't just an Old Testament thing, for the author of Hebrews says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And you need to remember today, beloved, that this isn't just some philosophy from down on high. This isn't just something written in a book, because our Lord Jesus Christ... The man who walked, the God-man who walked in Palestine, it was said of him in John chapter 2, verse 24, that he knew all men, and he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Do you want to see and hear greatness? You must go to Jesus Christ. The queen sees, she hears, and then she comes to believe in the greatness of Solomon. She says, this isn't half the story. I've got to go back and tell the people that think they're spinning tall tales that they're short tales. I can't believe what I'm seeing. This is unbelievable. And she backs up her actions with words. She says, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen here. You have to take all these spices from me. You have to take all this gold. I am flabbergasted. You are so great, Solomon. 
You see, the Bible tells us that the greater is always blessed by the lesser. The queen here is acknowledging that she is not as great as Solomon because of the Lord God. Because it is the Lord God that has placed Solomon on the throne, she says. You see, when she says this, here in verse 6 through 9, when she says, now I believe, blessed be the Lord God, she's not just making words up. You see, modern commentators who want to move the Bible away from all things to do with God, say, oh, this is the queen here, this is a good PR ploy. She has a good press secretary. She knows Solomon's wealthy and rich. She wants to set up a relationship, so she just mouths things that aren't true. We all know that life in Israel is horrible. Our author here, anticipating that, look at verse 23. He repeats it. He says, Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches, and the whole earth sought his presence. Every one of them brought his presence. You see, our author agrees with the queen. He says, she is right on. I believe too, the author says. Are you tempted to mouth words without reality? Are you tempted to fall asleep during Bible reading time and to say, oh, that, was, that really blessed my soul? Are you tempted... To have your mind wander off in prayer. And then later on to say, oh, that was such a refreshing time of prayer. The answer is found not in trying harder, but in agreeing with God's word. In saying, yes, the Bible is for blessing. Yes, prayer is refreshing. And I'm going to seek it out. Just as the queen did. So this is what the queen sees. She sees the great Solomon. But there's something underlying here that we need to see. For she indeed observes it as well. We see the one who is greater than Solomon. And she sees his glory. She sees his glory. She looks around and she says, Why is Solomon so wealthy? Why is he so blessed? What's with all the gold? We might ask, well, maybe it's because God owes Solomon. Solomon's the king of God's people. And there are even ministers who will stand up and tell you that God owes you. He owes you good health. He owes you money. He owes you a brand new car. He owes you a college education. All you need to do is go out and grab it. God's on the hook. But you see... The queen sees that God doesn't owe Solomon anything. It is his goodness, it is his grace that is showered down upon Solomon in the midst of his own struggles and sin. That the people of God are blessed as a shining beacon to the world. You see, God wants his glory to be seen in his people. Do you notice this little phrase here in verse 1? That the queen heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. You need to pay attention to little things in the Bible sometimes. 
If you have time this afternoon, flip over to 2 Chronicles chapter 9. And it will look very familiar because it's almost word for word 1 Kings 10. It's just the chronicler's account. I mean, it is literally, at least in this translation, word for word, except concerning the name of the Lord. Our author here insists on putting it in. Why? It's because Solomon's fame and glory and wisdom are there so that others can see them and be drawn to the Lord God. It's kind of like the picture we had this morning with baptism. You see, the Lord has instituted baptism to show the magnificence of his promises to his people. He doesn't need baptism to do anything. He's God. But he has condescended to give us this sign so that we can know that he's a promise-keeping God, know that he is a faithful God, know that his glory is seen to everyone who observes it. It's a picture for us. You see, that is how God works in you and in me. God works in us so that others will see his power and his love. So the next time that you minister and you don't feel like you're getting proper credit, don't worry about it. You don't deserve the credit anyway. The next time you get frustrated, don't worry about it. Because it's not to show your intelligence, your work, your glory, but God's. The queen sees the glory of God in Solomon. And she doesn't just see This glory, she also hears it. She hears the glory of God. She now believes the report. She has heard it with her own ears. The report that God is faithful. We see that in verse 8. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants. Everyone should be happy to be hearing the wisdom that God has given to you. God is so faithful to this kingdom. He has built it up from nothing, from slaves to the envy of the world. God is faithful. But she also now hears the glory of God in God's purpose. Look at verse 9. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. And he didn't just do that, Solomon, so you would look good. He didn't just do it so it would be efficient. He didn't just do it so that David would be happy. No, he did it that you may execute justice and righteousness. You see, it's God's purpose behind all of these events. She hears God's glory in the midst of the way that he is working in Solomon. Do you hear God's glory today? You should. Every time a missionary gives a report, that's God's glory being heard. Every time you hear of evangelistic endeavors that bear fruit, that's God's glory. God's glory is to be heard in the work that he does in his people. You see, the wisdom that she has heard is not Solomon's own, but it is the Lord's. You see, that's why she couldn't believe. She said to herself, how can anybody be that smart? Come on. 
but she sees the Lord God behind. She sees God's glory. She hears God's glory. But then lastly, she believes God's glory. Here we have a woman, a queen, an aristocrat, a wealthy queen who traveled 1,200 miles by camel, one way. I imagine there's more than a few travel delays. Months, perhaps, go by. And she comes, and she sees all this magnificence. And how does she respond? I think we might expect her to look at the temple and say, Oh, Solomon, who is your architect? Can I hire him? Does he have a brother? She looks and she sees all the gold and she says, Could you please instruct my men in the proper theories of economics and trading? Because we want to be as wealthy as you are. Is that what she asks for? No. No. She comes before Solomon and she sees the glory of God and she says, Blessed be the Lord God. She believes that it's God's glory to be seen and she wants to be a part of it. And we need to be careful because as we look out, we can see numbers grow, buildings starting, things going on, and we can be focused in the things. We can even do that with something like baptism. We can focus on the cuteness of the baby, and she is adorable. We can focus on the goodness that God has shown to the family. But you see, what we need to focus on is the glory of God manifesting itself in our midst and believe in it for our own lives. That God gives that kind of grace and goodness to you and to me through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we need to be careful because not only is that a trap for us, it's a trap for others. As we put the glory that God has put in our midst in front of others, if we're not careful, that's what they will see. They'll see how sharp our building is or how well-behaved our children are and not see the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, she doesn't want Solomon's architect. She doesn't want his trade advisor. She wants God. She says, blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. This shouldn't surprise us. It's the exact same thing that Melchizedek said in Genesis 14 to Abraham. Blessed be the Lord God. It's the same thing that Hiram said to Solomon, but a few chapters earlier in chapter 5. Blessed be the Lord God. You see, when the Gentiles... Those who are afar off see the people of God. They are drawn to what God is doing. And they join in with the people of God. Because you see, Solomon says the exact same thing in chapter 1, verse 48. Blessed be the Lord God. And he prays in chapter 8, verse verse 15. Blessed be the Lord God. This is not something that is just written in a book, to recount from the past. The prophet Isaiah writes in chapter 60 the following. 
Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar. Your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of nations shall come to you. This is Isaiah's prophecy of the day of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Note what he says next. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Epheth, all those from Sheba, shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. You see, the queen of Sheba is but a piece, a first fruit of what God is doing. We know this is true because we are fruit of this. We are a fulfillment of this passage in Isaiah. None of us has been to old Jerusalem. None of us has sat under Solomon. But the fame of the Lord has spread throughout the world. It's the same kind of blessing that Paul gives. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies. God is fulfilling today what he has started with the Queen of Sheba. There's also a word of warning to us. You see, the Queen's story doesn't end here. It's very interesting. The greatest of all preachers remembers this story, and he uses it for an example. In Matthew chapter 12, our Lord Jesus Christ is standing preaching the gospel of the kingdom to those who think themselves wise. They say, if you're really from God, show us a sign. We don't really believe. And our Lord says in verse 42, the queen of the south, that is, Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Beloved, the Lord God, through this weak servant, gives you this word today. The queen of Sheba traveled 1,200 miles to hear the wisdom of a king. The wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is laid before you right now. Do not denigrate the queen of Sheba. Do not place her in a corner and pat her on the head and say, Oh, that's nice. She knows how to make travel plans. No. For she will rise up at the judgment and say, I saw, I heard, and I believed. And it made all the difference in my life. 
Money meant nothing. Spices meant nothing. But I had to have the blessing of God. That's what the Lord God calls you to today. If you have walked with the Lord for decades, He calls you to this. To His wisdom. His wisdom that is named the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, do not refuse His word. Do not reject the one who is greater than Solomon. He alone can give all answers. He alone can give all comfort. That is why this story is before us today. We might say, in God's wisdom and providence, that this entire incident and the entire recounting of it was specifically purposed for that one sentence spoken by our Lord. To point each and every one of us to Him, to the wisdom that is greater than Solomon's. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have blessed us with Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, that You would grant it to us to know that great wisdom that passes all understanding in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, in serving Him, in being comforted by Him. We ask all of this in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. hear the Lord's blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.